I'm Ben Davies, and this is The Clear Money Mindset. And with respect to the spending thing, if we tie that back in, I think to understanding holistically the things that do and don't enhance our life satisfaction actually bring us around to be more able to invest more money for our future because we get less wrapped up in buying things to keep up with the Joneses, buying things that we think will make us happy, but won't. Welcome to the Clear Money Mindset, providing you with help and tips to manage your money in a clear and intentional way. I'm your host and financial advisor, Ben Davies. At Davies Financial Sterling Mutuals, we want to provide you with meaningful tips to help you with your money. On our last podcast, we talked with Andrew Hallam, author of the book Balance, How to Invest and Spend for Happiness, Health, and Wealth. Today's podcast, we will be listening to the second part of our conversation with Andrew. In this part of our conversation, we will talk about keeping up with the Joneses, what he calls the desert litmus test, and developing a clear investment philosophy. Here's the second part of our conversation. We know you're going to enjoy it. You talk about something you call a desert lit, a desert island litmus test. What is that? And how can that yeah. help our spending? <laughs> if you are thinking of buying a high status item, the the desert island litmus test helps you identify whether you're truly buying it for you or buying it for somebody else. So, for example, if you lived on a deserted island where nobody could see that Chanel handbag, for example, would you buy that Chanel handbag? Now, some people would if no one else could see it. Some people would, and that's fine. But if the answer is, you know what? No, I don't think I'd buy that Chanel handbag if I lived on a deserted island by myself. <clears throat> then the answer for you is it doesn't really align with your values and your life satisfaction. So don't buy the Chanel bag. No one's going to love you anymore or less because you bought a Chanel bag. You know, it's weird how our egos work, man. They're so weird. You know, we'll buy this stuff sometimes so other people will see them. But the bottom line is they're not going to love you or respect you anymore based on the handbag you have or the car that you drive. It's so fascinating how primitive we are. And we all at some point, you know, fail the deserted island litmus test. It's just it's part of being human. But it's just such a good thing, I think, to to ground ourselves and to think about before buying a high status item. So. Along that line, um, usually if we're doing poorly financially or in general, that's something that we just try to hide. And oftentimes uh, that adds to the stress of trying to keep up with the Joneses, making sure the Joneses don't actually see what's under the hood of my life, uh, especially financially. But you mentioned something uh, later on in the book that I, I – that was new for me. It, it seems so true, but it's it's not something I've thought of often is this idea that if you're struggling in life financially or otherwise, um, we often try to hide that or we isolate, uh, especially like if you're if you're covered in debt, you just hide that, put your, uh, you know, work hard, 
pay that things off, fix it on your own and, and come back out from the hole when your your life looks good enough for you to want to talk about it with other people. You mentioned in the book, though, that uh, socializing through struggles is incredibly important for our well-being, um, even our financial well-being. Um, why, why do you think that is and, and why do you think we're so prone to try to isolate when things aren't great? I think shame would be one in terms of why we would try to isolate when things aren't going well. But, you know, as you mentioned, uh, and what the research suggests that I talk about in the book balance is that when we surround ourselves with other people, everything about ourselves improves, our health improves, our overall spirit improves, our resilience improves. And so if you are struggling, the worst thing to do is to, and I know it's hard because you do want to put your head in, you know, in the sand and, and, or just, I'm going to work on this on my own and I'm going to ignore the world for a while and just focus. Yeah. But one of the best things to do is you surround yourself with people. It actually gives you internal strength. It does. It mm. gives you strength. And I, and I found too, um, Ben, that vulnerability and the admittance of it is a superpower. So you might think that when you're feeling vulnerable, to share it or to show it is a weakness. But we all feel vulnerable at some point in our lives. We always do. That's what it is to be human. But when we can actually show that vulnerability with other people and share it with other people, it endears us to other people. Because people just love the fact that we are honest with them. And it's amazing yep. how supportive they are just socially and emotionally when we are struggling. People and friends that will come out of the woodwork. So, yeah, on, on every level in terms of just uh, you know how much we laugh and how long we live, research suggests that one of the best things that we can do is surround ourselves with friends and family. That's cool. And at, at the end of the day, that's, that's all you're going to have. So those are the most important things you value at the end of your life. Anyway, is the people around you, the experiences you had, and we all know that, but it's, it's hard living in the moment in a world that, uh, the consumer driven kind of society, it's just hard to have that mindset. Um, following the right crowd financially, uh, what are some questions we can ask ourselves, uh, to make sure we're, we're not hurting with a philosophy or a group of people that's just heading in the wrong direction? How do we kind of check ourselves and make sure that, um, we're not just doing what we're doing because that's what the crowd's doing. We're doing the right things. Yeah, I, I think you know, to a point we can really find our tribe, like, and we can find people that the friends of ours that not that we will, will shun our friends who are big spenders, but yeah. you know, you'll have friends that will prefer having a, a dinner in at home with friends where we, we all make something or we do some kind of potluck. Yeah. You'll have friends that want to do that rather than go to the restaurant. And I think finding those people and spending time with those people is is really 
important. Finding your now, financial can I, tribe. Can I just ask you something quick there? Like, would you actually change your friends if you're surrounded by a group of people <laughs> that have to spend a lot of money every time they get together? No, here's what I would do. So, uh, so I have some friends who are, who are pretty frugal and super happy people. Like they're really, really happy. They're careful with their money. And I don't think, okay, this is interesting when I think about this, Ben, because uh, I don't think we've ever actually gone out for dinner with this particular couple. I think it's always been at their house or okay. at at our house. And, and we'll go out for dinner. Like my wife and I will go out for dinner. Like we went out for dinner last night. But with this particular couple, I don't think we've ever gone out for dinner with them. Um, maybe once, but that's extraordinary. But the idea too is we have some other friends who are big spenders. And so when the big spending friends say, oh, this is this awesome restaurant, you know, let's get a group of us together and we'll go there. What I'll, what I'll do or what I know my, my friends will do is they'll often say, Hey, you know what? Why don't we, this would be really cool. Cause we'd be much more comfortable. We can relax more. We can stay longer. Why don't we have it at like at Annika's house? You know, let's have this at Annika's house. Well, I'll bring a potluck or whatever it'll be. And, uh, and Attica's place has got a swimming pool, <laughs> you know, so they're just these, 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 these things that lend themselves really well to like a social environment where we're not yep. spending money and we can entice our bigger spending friends to do some of these along. things. Yeah, exactly. Cool. I mean, I've done these holidays and I've got friends. I have friends just like everybody else who friends who are big spenders, um, and, uh, and friends who are frugal. And I think most of us have yeah, that kind of network. And I do this trip every year where, um, I organize a, a trip, uh, actually a trip abroad where I bring people together and, you know, we'll rent like an Airbnb somewhere or cool. we'll rent like, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll stay in a place typically is like we've done Italy and we've been in France and we bring our bikes and we ride our bikes and, uh, we just have this awesome time. But what, what, what we'll do is we'll put one of the more frugal people in charge of the accommodation. Yeah. So, you know, I've got some friends who are huge spenders and, you know, they'd be just blowing the budget. They'd be like, oh, let's stay here. <laughs> and they would, they would do it. But, you know, I, I do this. I do this strategically. I'll put people in charge of the accommodations. You find the accommodation. Okay. Like everybody finds their thing. And, you know, it's funny, Ben, because every year we've been doing this every year. And when we get there, it's all about the people. I mean, we're not staying in scuzzy places. So yeah. it's not like that draws our attention, but it's all about the people. Every time we go, we have an awesome time. Nobody goes, you know, this would have been so much better if we had a bigger house. Nobody says that because, again, it's about the relationships. I have just two more questions left. I know we're running out of time. As a financial advisor, I'm trying to dump as little water into people's trumpets as I possibly can. Um can you give us some just generalized, and I know this is covering like the second half of your book, um, some general good savings and investing principles that people can try to take with them. I love the fact that the book starts with mindset because I think it's a huge, it's a huge change that I is starting to come to the financial industry. I think really needs to, um, where, um, a lot of that is part of the focus, not just products and what what's being sold. Uh, but how can what are some principles people can take into? So you've you've got your mindset shifted. You're trying to you're trying to build your financial life on four legs and not just the one. Um, what are some principles people can take with them to help them spend better, invest better? 
Hmm. Spending better and investing better. Well, focusing on the investing, because we haven't so much talked about that. Uh, I would say the the biggest enemy for people generally is not the stock market. It's actually not even the products that people buy. It's the person you face in the mirror every morning. It's yeah. the emotional aspect of it. So yeah. if you have a, a fully div globally diversified investment portfolio, and it's a relatively low cost portfolio, and you just add to that portfolio whenever you have the money, not waiting for you know the dollar to do this or economic output outlook to be that or how the markets are performing, just adding that money as soon as you have it to the globally diversified portfolio. Don't chase hot stocks. Mm -hmm. Don't chase what you think might be the latest trend. That's what a lot of people, especially men, especially men, end up doing. Yeah. But the bottom yeah. line is that if you, you keep it simple, you keep it globally diversified, you don't know what sector is going to do better in the future. Nobody does. All kinds of people trying to tell you that they know, but nobody yeah. knows. So just yeah. keep it globally diversified, continue to add money whenever you have it. And with respect to the spending thing, if we tie that back in, I think to understanding holistically the things that do and don't enhance our life satisfaction actually bring us around to be more able to invest more money for our future because we get less wrapped up in buying things to keep up with the Joneses, buying things that we think will make us happy but won't. Once we can get our heads around that, I, can, I think it allows us to spend less on the crap that so many other people are buying yeah, and then invest more in an intelligent way for our future, which just gives us choices and options of how we're going to spend our time in that future. Uh, I like that. I, I remember it was, I think it was 10 years ago. Now I got to have lunch with, he had just, this person had just retired. He was the CEO of one of the largest financial institutions in Canada. And so naturally what I did, I, I asked him, well, what do you, what do you invest in? And he says to me, you're not going to like my answer. I'm like, well, what do you mean? It's like, I have a 60, 40, like 60% stocks, 40% fixed income. It's managed by a team. I don't even really know what I have. I just know that over time it's making what I need it to make. It's funding our goals and I'm just being consistent. And I'm like, that was the most boring answer that I ever got. And I was hoping for something like more profound, but the longer you're around the financial world and the more you read people who've actually accomplished something, the more you find uh, boring and steady and regular <laughs> is actually quite good. Um, so whether it's... Yeah, you're right, Ben. You know what, Ben? You know what this reminds me of? Um, and this is a great analogy for investing. And I read it somewhere and I'm, I'm, I'll apologize to the author because I can't recall the actual origin of it. But it said something like that investing was a lot like uh, Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. You know the Willy Wonka like story, you know, by, yep. by, by Ronald Dahl. And, and you have all of these little kids and they, you know, the ones that get the special tickets, they could take this tour through Willy Wonka's special chocolate factory. And, and one by one, they all end up doing something dumb and screwing up, <laughs> right? Yep. Where, you know, 
where our, our protagonist, the kid, the little, he was like a little poor, poor kid yep. and his dad or his uncle or whatever bought him like, you know, one special chocolate bar and in it was this golden ticket. So he was one of those kids who ended up getting or able to tour the factory, but he just kind of stayed out of trouble. And mm. in the end, he's the kid who I think as a result of that inherits the entire chocolate factory because everybody else ends yeah. up being like, it's a great lesson in greed. There's a little girl who ends up like, dr- I don't know, drinking from the the wa- the chocolate waterfall. She was told not to do that. There's all right. kinds of other other sweets that she could have, but she does this and she gets sucked up through this pipe. And like one by one, it was just this war of attrition. It should probably be traumatizing for little kids today. <laughs> but the one kid who just kind of, you know, followed the 60-40 portfolio I mean, yeah. if you're looking at the actual metaphor of that, he's a kid who ends up inheriting the entire factory, right? <laughs> well, because there's always, um, in the la- especially in the last three years in the investment world, we, we listen to all these uh, webinars that we go to, and it's hilarious. Not funny, but like... I'm an, like, I'm a human being when the stock market crashes, I worry. Like, that's just like, I, I try to help myself not, but that's, you just, you just do. But then it's surprising, especially through COVID, how the very same people with a week just elapsing in time come out with a very different analysis on what's going to happen. And you realize like, listen, like these, these guys, they're doing their best to, to try to give us an idea of what's coming, but they really don't know. And it comes down to consistent, steady over time, um, whatever you're investing in, try to make sure you know it. But the, the amount of people that have become wealthy by doing a very consistent thing over time versus the amount of people who got wealthy because they, they, they bought Tesla at the right time. Um, I'm sure there's very there's probably a lot more on the slow and steady side of things than there are on I got lucky on the right stock because, um, you know who knows. Um, we've covered a, a decent amount in the book. I I really love I really love this book, Andrew. I love I love authors who are taking the time to help people understand the emotions behind investing because honestly, that that side of the financial world I think is either just as much meaningful as what you do or even more important, um, like what you're, the products you're actually using or the tools you're in, uh, getting the mindset and being consistent. Uh, we need more and more authors to cover stuff like this. So I appreciate the time you've taken to do this. Um, before we go, is there anything in the book that you're like, I was really hoping to get this across to the listeners today and we haven't had a chance yet. Anything in the book that you want to leave us with um, before we go? Uh, not so much, but I think Ben, um, it's just this little part about purposeful spending and how I am an optimist in terms of human progress. And we have made progress on so many fronts, but there is one very large looming challenge and that that's our environment. And so it's that essence of the global warming. And the more we buy, the more we contribute to that. And mm-hmm. so I think it's it's really holistic in terms of if we spend less on stuff, we help the environment tremendously. 
because it's the purchasing of the things that 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 feed the the mining of the raw materials the packaging the the yep. production of these things which you know emit all kinds of toxins into the atmosphere the, the packaging of it and the shipping of it the less crap we buy the better it is also for the environment so i think i might end on that note <laughs> nice and the happier we might find ourselves uh, the book is called Balance, How to Invest and Spend for Happiness, Health, and Wealth. And uh, if you're hopping in in the middle, we've been chatting with the author of that book, Andrew Hallam. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast today. And I just want to thank you as well for someone in the world of finance for uh, taking the time to write a book that uh, would help people have the right mindset to be more successful with their money in life. My pleasure. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about this. You can tell I'm pretty excited about it. I can. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal, financial, or professional advice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of Sterling Mutuals, Inc. Mutual funds and ETFs provided through Sterling Mutuals, Inc. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fun facts before investing. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated.